Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. How do you feel great on vacation? Like really good? Easy. You go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool white sand beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll immerse yourself in natural wonder and find your center on an island where things move at your speed. You won't just feel great. You'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. Hello and welcome to the show. Lots to unpack today, including why Western Sydney is not so keen on the rainbow flags. Can our migrant communities save Australia? Kiralee Smith from Binary joins me to unpack the week's gender madness news. And is Westfield kowtowing to the Chinese Communist Party? All that and more, please stick around. Joining me now is New South Wales Premier Dominic Perrottet. Morning to you. Morning, Matt. Let's start with this new election policy. So kids will be given by the government uh, an initial $400 at birth, and then parents are expected to add to that. Tell us the policy. Well, Matt, this is all about making sure that our children have greater opportunities than we do. And we know that many children, when they get to the age of 18, they've got the cost of education, the cost of housing. So what we're doing is we're setting up a fund for them. We will uh, start it as a government with $400 uh, and then each year make a co-contribution of up to $400. So by the time the child is 18 years old and they leave school, uh, they'll have up to $49,000, which they can draw down on for education and for housing. So parents can put up to $1,000 a year into That's right. the fund, is that? So it's like a kid's super. It's a, yes, kid's super, super for kids. So uh, a maximum contribution of up to $1,000 and the state will make a contribution of up to $400 and that that will grow over time and obviously and, and by the time the child is 18 up to $49,000 for every child across New South Wales. What if you're a family who can't afford the thousand or even the 400? So if you're on family tax benefits we will make an automatic contribution of $200 per year on top of the $400 that we set the account up with. So we obviously want to encourage families uh, to make that contribution uh, but for the 300,000 families across New South Wales who are on family tax benefits, those low to middle income earners, uh, they will get an automatic $200 every year from the government. Well, New South Wales Premier Dominic Perrottet and his Liberal Nationals Coalition held their election campaign launch earlier this week. The centrepiece policy announcement, as you just saw, was an $850 million future fund for children. It sounds like a brilliant idea, and it probably would be if New South Wales had a sovereign wealth fund to pay for it. But we don't. And by the way, in that fairly soft interview with the mainstream legacy media, there was not one question about how it would be paid for. Even journalists seem to think that free stuff from the government is fine, no questions asked. By June next year, New South Wales will be in an eye-watering $160 billion worth of debt. That's $13,000 for every man, woman and child in New South Wales. But Perrottet is proposing to put $400 of borrowed money into every child's bank account upon birth and then match parent contributions with more borrowed cash to the tune of another $400 per year until the child turns 18. Now, incentives to save money for the future are, of course, good. But is it responsible to use money you don't have? We have an energy shortage crisis and an inflation crisis, both fueled by irresponsible government action. This is no time to be shoveling borrowed cash out the door. Currently, any of us with mortgages are feeling the pinch after 10 straight interest rate rises, medicine we are told we must swallow to tame runaway inflation. But jacking up interest rates in a bid to slow consumer spending is not the only tool for dealing with inflation. Economists will tell you that government debt and out-of-control spending by politicians also drives inflation. So why risk more inflation by spending more money we don't have? 
It is mortgage holders who are being asked to bear a disproportionate burden while governments at state and federal level continue to spend with no realistic plans to live within their means. They think if they keep throwing free stuff at us, we'll vote for them and everything will be fine. But what good is $28,000 in a kid's bank account if we have paid hundreds and thousands of dollars extra in higher electricity bills because of misguided net zero policies and government debt-driven inflation? Cutting the gov cutting, getting the government's house in order is a much higher priority than letting us eat the cake of borrowed money. Our kids might get a nest egg under Perite's scheme, but right now they are $13,000 behind because that is the debt that each child already owes as part of his or her contribution to the reckless spending of the past few years. You can't fix intergenerational theft by borrowing more money. Now, last week I participated in a candidates forum at Singleton in the Hunter Valley. We were asked by the audience about what we would do about the cost of living crisis. The sitting Nationals member for Upper Hunter, Dave Lazell's response was just, take the free stuff from the government. It's a frightening insight into the mindset of modern politicians' approach to economics. Here's Dave, Lell, here's Dave Lazell, followed by my response. Take a look. One of the things that um, you know, we've put in place, and I hope everyone is taking advantage of this, is our voucher system that we're running through Service New South Wales. There are 70 vouchers there targeted, targeted to help families get through. So whether it's your active kids voucher, whether it's the back to school voucher, whether it's uh, your energy rebates, there's a whole bunch of vouchers out there to help you just get through. And they're targeted primarily at families because we're trying to help families get through. And so that's where a lot of the work has been done to try to help people get through with that voucher system, streamline Service New South Wales, energy will be a big challenge going forward and therefore there will be more and more um, focus on that for households and for families and through that system we will be doing targeting uh, energy um, bill relief um, going forward and that um, is the main tool that we're using to help families out. Uh, the biggest issue associated with cost of living is the energy crisis that has been created by the political quad that runs Australia, Labor, the Greens, the Teals and the so-called modern Liberals and um, probably some of the modern Nationals. Uh, are the, they all believe the same thing, that we've got to close down our coal-fired power stations. The reason why they're unsafe and ageing is because we haven't invested in them. It's like having a car and not buying a new one when it's due to be upgraded. It doesn't mean that you ditch your cars because they're old and, and breaking down. You, you upgrade them and we've failed to invest in our coal-fired power stations. China's investing in coal-fired power stations and uh, they're putting out more emissions than, um, than we can... You know, Greenhouse gas emissions are going up, not down. There's nothing that Australia's 1.3% emissions can do to change the temperature of the planet. Uh, now, if we can use low emissions technology, great. I'm not against nuclear. Uh, $50 billion would be a bargain. We're spending $20 billion on Snowy Hydro, and the tunnelling machine is stuck at the moment. Uh, and and there's, you know, it's probably not going to be enough to provide the backup power that's needed because windmills and solar panels cannot power a modern industrialised economy. They just just can't. And what Matt Keane has done to New South Wales is economic vandalism. It is driving up the price of, of everything. Your electricity bills have more than doubled in the last two years. We used to have some of the cheapest electricity in the OECD. Now we have some of the most expensive in a country that is awash with resource, with gas and coal. We do not know what to do with it. We should be using it for our competitive advantage to make our nation strong, to give our people prosperity, to bring down the cost of living and the cost of fuel, which goes into the inputs of growth. And as for vouchers, uh, a government that's put us in $160 billion worth of debt should not be giving us free stuff. They should be bringing down the cost of electricity. Uh, that is just making the problem worse to try and make us feel better and it's playing us for mugs when they're not dealing with the fundamentals. Now, if only we had more of these town hall style candidate forums, and if only the media covered them. Natalie from Channel 7 didn't even ask the Premier how he would fund his kids' future fund policy. Journalists once asked the tough questions. These days, they are socially and economically illiterate. 
So are our politicians. Free stuff sounds great, but if we think it will solve our problems, we are living in a fool's paradise. Still on the Liberals and the Nationals election uh, campaign launch, the event was billed as a pitch to families. But if Perrottet really wanted to help families, why doesn't he order his health minister, Brad Hazard, to shut down the child gender clinics instead of protecting them in the face of alarming evidence that they are hurting and harming children? Why doesn't he defund what are, in my opinion, anti-family events like Sydney World Pride with its sexuality parties that include animals and drag queen, drag queen story time targeting toddlers? Why doesn't Perrottet order his hapless education minister, Sarah Mitchell, to stop allowing gender fluid ideology in the classroom, or at least allow parents the opportunity to opt out. Sadly, it seems, despite his Catholic faith, Premier Perrottet is beholden to the rainbow political activists. Asked by The Weekend Australian for his views on same-sex marriage, Perrottet said this, I am pretty relaxed about it. Ultimately, people make their own decisions and we all have different views in the world and that's something to come together and celebrate. I believe in freedom of tolerance in society for people's different views and backgrounds, end quote. Now, the trouble is this political movement, this rainbow political movement does not believe in freedom and tolerance. Perrottet's relaxed attitude has meant $4.5 million of New South Wales taxpayers' money has gone to World Pride. Now, let's just break that down. The Minister for Enterprise, Investment and Trade, Minister for Tourism, Sport and Minister for Western Sydney, Stuart Ayres, allocated $3.5 million to Pride Villages, whatever they are. And Arts Minister Ben Franklin allocated $1 million through Create New South Wales to stage any art form. Now, Presumably, that was art form that uh, includes, you know, these sort of billboards uh, that we saw in public places, clearly inappropriate to children, and many other things that were put out into the public square that are unsuitable for a civil society. Now, the irony for a minister for Western Sydney, uh, and that's an area of the country which voted overwhelmingly against redefining marriage in the same-sex marriage plebiscite, seems to be lost on the Perrottet government. Perrottet's relaxed attitude to same-sex marriage has led to gender-fluid ideology being allowed to flourish in our schools, despite, as I say, the growing evidence of New South Wales child gender clinics harming children. A day of reckoning is coming, and politicians like Perrottet, who have failed to stand up to political ideologies which have harmed families, will go down in history as big disappointments. Well, joining me now to discuss this mad moment of history where men can get pregnant and conservative politicians allow irreversible harm to be done to gender-confused children is Kiralee Smith from Binary. Kiralee, thanks for your time again this week. Thanks for having me, Lyle. Now, Kiralee, you've been part of this uh, road trip, the Let Women Speak tour, which has uh, seen more anti-free speech protests by LGBTQI plus political activists. Let's have a look at some of the media coverage. Riot police have been called in to keep the peace at the first Australian appearance of controversial British activist Kelly J Keane. Keane, who also goes by the name Posey Parker, is accused of being transphobic after claiming it's impossible to change someone's sex. Posey Parker fights for women's rights, but it's her definition of what makes women, women. It's drawn battle lines. I'm going to say the things that we're not allowed to say in the UK and I'm assuming you're not really allowed to say here and if you do say it, you're actually a terrible person so I'm going to say all of those things. LGBTI protesters storming Sydney's Victoria Park as the British activist kicked off the first public speaking event of her Australian Let Women Speak tour. Riot police keeping the groups separated, hundreds strong on either side. I'm trans um, and there are some people out there who believe that trans people should be eradicated um, but I disagree with them because I really like existing. The people who are over here opposing us are not even allowing us to speak. I thought Australia was a democratic country where we had the right to speak. My ex-wife is trans and transition and is so much happier now and I just they can see how 
important it is and it's just it's horrifying that these people can be so full of hate. It hasn't been a smooth landing in Australia for the British campaigner with a failed attempt by a federal Aussie MP to have her visa revoked over anti-trans comments. So uh, India obviously looks uh, like a woman um, but I don't see India as a woman. Right. While Sydney is the first stop on the tour, protests like this are planned at Posey Parker's other events around the country. She'll be in Brisbane tomorrow, Adelaide and Perth next week and Melbourne next weekend. No arrests were made at today's event. Paris Martin for 10 News First. Now, Kiralee, lots to unpack in that clip, uh, but I want to pick up on one thing which I heard there. Um, the idea that anyone wants to eradicate another person uh, is quite pernicious. None of us want to do that. Um, what's going on there, Kiralee? Look, the language throughout that entire clip was absolutely insane. You know, to label women who just simply want to speak about what it is to be a woman and call that controversial or transphobic is pure insanity. That's that, There's no other word for it. There is no way that we want anyone eradicated. Um, until very recently, no one had a problem with males appropriating female stereotypes. They went about their business. They um, didn't impose themselves in women's spaces or services. They didn't insist that we lie uh, about them being women. They Most of them got to call themselves transsexuals. There were even some transsexuals at the event, Lyle, who were standing with the women and letting women speak. So how ironic that these aggressive male activists, and there was no clashes and there was no need for the riot police to come for the women who were speaking. It was to protect the women who were speaking because there's plenty of men and their friends who don't want women to speak. That's the point. It is so insane that our mainstream media can get away with that kind of false reporting. Kiralee, do you think that um, the, the activists turn up to try and create the appearance of a confrontation? It didn't look like there was a big group of them. They were very noisy, but uh, it seems like these are almost confected uh, protests to make what uh, you and uh, Posey Parker are doing seem controversial. Look, I think, I think there's a mix, to be honest, Lyle. I think there's definitely that crowd that loves the attention. They love to be noisy. You know, they, they chanted slogans and obscenities. There were no speeches on their side. There were no uh, intelligent, engaging uh, conversations or debates. Um, I don't think any of them stopped to actually listen to what the women was were saying they're simply there sharing their uh, point of view. I think there are some people who um, are genuinely, genuinely confused and genuinely misunderstanding because they're being fed a lie. They're being fed this lie from the media, from other activists. Um, I, I was able to have a conversation with one or two of them and, and it was very calm, very rational. Uh, we don't agree, obviously, but, um, you know, I said to them, you're more than welcome to appropriate female stereotypes, but it's the taking away and the insisting on access to women's spaces and services that's the issue. We are happy for you to appear however you want to appear, but don't force us into a corner and force us to lie about these things. And, um, and it was fine. Yeah, well, good on you, Kiralee and, and Posey Parker and the Let Women Speak Tour. It's had a big impact and, and may that space continue to stay open for freedom of speech on this important issue. Now, the intellectual dishonesty of the LGBTIQA plus political movement was on further display uh, recently when former marriage equality boss, now Member of Parliament Alex Greenwich, tried to defend the idea of biological males competing with girls and women. Take a look at this. Can't ignore the issue though, can you? I mean, when it comes to a level playing field and professional sport, I think you can have a position that says, I support the rights of people to identify how they want, but when it comes to gold medals being on the line, huge sponsorship deals and a, and a future as a professional sports person, there's got to be a line in the sand somewhere, doesn't there, Mark? Yeah, nobody's being demonised or targeted here, Ben. What we're trying to do is establish fair and sensible rules about sporting competition. And if you're an 18-year-old girl, a young woman, who's trained for 10 years, as you say, every morning up early at 3 o'clock in the morning, up and down the black line in the pool, you would expect fair competition uh, if you go through to the Commonwealth or Olympic Games, and that is you don't have to compete against someone who's a man, who can swim faster. Males at that age have physical advantages that are obvious, that are biological, and the competition needs to be fair, and you can't punish girls and women by putting them in races against men. And the men will take advantage of it. We've seen that in part, and I just think it's plain can, wrong. Can I just call out this, Furphy? You know, when you, when you look at the trans community, 
their biggest health issue is a lack of vitamin D because they're afraid to Hang leave on, the home. Let me finish, Ben. But they're, they're afraid you're to... They're, it. No, men, they're, men I'm not ignoring it. Mass. I'm giving you an answer here, which is... You're talking about people, vitamin D. I'm talking about the, the trans community are afraid to leave home because of the bullying and stigma which they face. There is not this epidemic of men becoming women to to be in competitive sport that does not happen well, it, what it, happens on, what happens Alex, ben the reality happened. is you're not talking in reality reality well, no, well, Alex, is let me jump in for a moment i am talking in reality we've detailed many cases in america and also now in australia as well where you have professional sports people who have got no qualms about setting foot outside and getting some vitamin d they want to compete in a different category and the people who are existing in that category feel like their chances of winning have been damaged. I mean, Look, that I'm, is at I'm, the heart of the issue. I'm concerned of the harm that has been done to the trans and gender diverse right. community by these sorts of attacks, and I think we can they're all not, do they're better not attacks, to support. They're not attacks. And, and look, we got, they're, we got, not, they're not attacks, and you say this without three, evidence. Got, you just generalise that oh, everyone's afraid to leave three, their home. Three That's just baloney. Here talking about That's a vulnerable baloney. community. Talk with that community rather than about them. Open your heart and minds to the challenges and the difficult journey that the trans and gender diverse people have, and you might be able to find some compassion. Okay. Now, Kiralee, clearly Alex Greenwich is either badly misinformed or he is covering for a political ideology when he says there is no epidemic of biological males competing in girls' and women's sport. It's one or the other. Which is it? It's both. His reality is not everybody else's reality, Lyle, and he's definitely trying to advance an ideology, ideological position. Um, there are plenty of men and an increasing number of males in female sports. As you know, we've talked about Football Australia. It's happening right here in my hometown, but, you know, around the country. This week it was also um, announced um, Andrew Bogart, the former NBA star, uh, let everybody know that there'll be now a male in uh, the female competition in Victoria at very high level. Uh, we have athletics. Um, I know some world masters who are very concerned and may not even compete, uh, continue to compete. We've got Deb Mackison, um, our Olympic weightlifter, who had to compete against um, a male transgender lifter. So, you know, this is happening. They are taking world records. They are taking away the incentive for girls and women to even participate in community sport. It's 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 not fair, it's not safe. No one's saying they can't compete. Simply compete in your biological category or create a new category or find a mixed team. Yeah. But you do not have to take away women and girls' rights to single-sex sport. No, that's right. It's not that uh, difficult. But uh, what really concerns me, Kiralee, is, is watching that um, that clip there with Mark Latham, Ben Fordham and Alex Greenwich. And, and Greenwich just avoiding the issues, uh, deflecting all the time, using emotional uh, examples about people who don't want to go out and get some sunlight uh, as, as if uh, there's some sort of oppression going on and, and ignoring the fact that, um, yeah, as you just said, as Andrew Bogart revealed, there's going to be uh, a biological male running around in elite bar women's basketball in Victoria. Alex Greenwich doesn't want to deal with the reality of how this is affecting girls and women. And that's the scary thing because he's a politician. Correct. And he's much more interested in men's rights, which is males appropriating female stereotypes, than women's rights. Um, they... Nobody's taking away transgender rights. No one's taking away their right to compete, their right to play sport, their right to do anything. We're simply asking for protections for women and girls so that it's safe and fair um, on the sporting field, in the change rooms, you know, right across the community. And um, transgender rights don't have to be at the expense of female rights. And that's what's happening. And he is a politician who's unapologetic uh, about um, rejecting female um, sex-based rights. Well, that, that's right. And, and he doesn't have the ability to think critically and to, to engage uh, constructively in, in an argument. As, as the former Deputy Prime Minister, John Anderson, continually says, you can't get good public policy from a bad debate. What we saw there was a bad debate. And we saw Greenwich saying things like, these people just want to be heard um, as if, as if you know, this is an oppressed class of people. And of course, no one wants to see anyone oppressed. Uh, we want to see everyone heard, but let's bring everyone's views to the table and have a debate. But that's not what Alex Greenwich and the LGBTQI plus political lobby uh, are offering us, is it? 
No, they want to penalise anyone who speaks against them and they use this inflammatory language that uh, is attempting to discourage women and men speaking about this. Thankfully, you know, Mark and Ben jumped straight onto it and um, acknowledged this is not an attack. This is simply a really necessary conversation that must be had to ensure that everybody has a fair and safe playing field. And, yeah, that language is... It's ridiculous, it's offensive, and it is not helpful at any level. That's right. We've got to use our brains a bit more. It, it is very disturbing. It is shutting down debate. Now, talk about shutting down debate. This next clip from none other than the leader of the free world, US President Joe Biden, uh, it appeared on, uh, on social media this week. He was commenting on Florida's ban, uh, a, a good and just ban on treating children with experimental and harmful puberty blockers, cross-sex hormones and surgery. Uh, have a look at what... President Biden had to say. Transgender kids is a really harder thing. What's going on in Florida is, as my mother would say, close to sinful. I mean, it's just terrible what they're doing. It's not like, you know, a kid wakes up one morning and says, you know, I decided I want to become a man or I want to become a woman or I want to change. I mean, what, 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 what are they thinking about here? They're human beings. They love, they have feelings, they have inclinations that are, I mean, it, it just to me is, I don't know, it, it's cruel. And the way we do it is we make sure we pass legislation like we passed on same-sex marriage. You mess with that, you're breaking the law, and you're going to be held accountable. Okay, Kira Lee, let's uh, unpack this. this. That's actually quite scary. There's, there's a number of things here. One, of course, is the human concern that we have for children who, who might be struggling with their uh, gender identity. That's, that's a real thing. And, of course, we empathise with President Biden here. But that's, that's uh, again, a distraction then to say uh, something more pernicious. Uh, help us understand what, what is really going on there. Yeah, look, I mean, again, there is so much to unpack. Um, of course, we have compassion on children who have uh, any dysphoria of any kind, but we never affirm any other kind of dysphoria, whether it's eating disorders, whether it's suicide ideation, whether it's um, other mental health issues like depression. We don't affirm those things by giving those children tools to go further down those rabbit holes. We support them, we encourage them, and we give them tools and time uh to assist them to overcome those things. And that's exactly what we should be doing with gender uh, dysphoria and confusion. Um, children are not, there's no transgender children. Children cannot consent or understand what that is. And it is a lie to tell someone that they can change sex. No one can change sex. It's an outright lie. So it is unkind and extremely cruel to lead a child on to let them believe that they can change their sex because they can't. Yeah, ab absolutely right. But uh, it's, it's really fascinating here. It's obvious that these uh, political activists are operating in concert globally because, um, you know, what did uh, Biden's legislative prescription there at the end tell us about, uh, you know, what we're seeing here in Australia? Yeah, well, that's what they want to do. They want to penalise people who want to protect and look out for children. They want to remove parental rights from the equation. They want to threaten medical professionals who want to use their medical expertise to protect the children um, by, you know, a stroke of a pen and signing into law an ideological viewpoint that will and is harming children. We have plenty of evidence that this harms children and uh, he doesn't even bat an eyelid in, in wanting to remove those protections from children. No, that's right. And he wants to override the Florida legislation, which uh, stops uh, children from having double mastectomies and, and being put on these drugs and chemicals, which lead to castration and sexual dysfunction. Of course, this is the same as what we're seeing in Australia with these gay, so-called gay conversion therapy laws. And of course, Alex Greenwich wants to bring in what President Biden is talking about uh, straight after the New South Wales election. The stakes are very high. Kiralee Smith uh, from Biner. Thank you so much for being with us again this week. Thanks for having me, La. Now, I've come to believe that the hope for arresting Australia's decline lies with our migrant populations. Australians of European background have largely embraced the lies of the sexual revolution. We have embraced the idea of cohabitation instead of marriage and same-sex marriage instead of monogamous heterosexual marriage. Both ideas are toxic to the most important building block of society, the family. 
Strong families and therefore a strong nation can only exist when mothering and fathering in the context of faithful marriage is promoted in culture and public policy. Now, none of us are perfect parents and none of us have perfect families. We're all human and we all make mistakes, but we shouldn't make it harder for ourselves or for our children by continually undermining what is the most basic building block of society, that is our families. Our entertainment culture assumes sex can be expressed uh, any way uh, an individual uh, chooses without consequences. Anything goes these days. But of course, that doesn't work well for women as the hashtag MeToo movement is demonstrating. And it doesn't work out well for children who end up growing up without a father around. Now, sadly, political correctness has made it virtually impossible to promote heterosexual monogamous marriage as the building block for strong families. Our politicians can't even define a woman, let alone a family. But there's no such confusion amongst our migrant communities who come from places like the Middle East and Asia, which place heavy cultural and religious value on the family. They are not confused about the definition of marriage, and they know it is a self-evident truth that boys are boys and girls are girls. After meetings in central Sydney recently, I caught the train out to Bankstown and, and Blacktown for some meetings with some ethnic leaders. Now, central Sydney was awash with taxpayer-funded rainbow flags when I got on the train at all the railway stations, uh, painted pavements, uh, rainbow uh, colours everywhere. These flags promote sexual licence, including the animal sexual fetish events advertised as part of Sydney World Pride. By the time I got out to Bankstown, there was not one rainbow flag in sight. Now, that is not because the migrant communities are, of Sydney's West are bigots, as the LGBTIQA plus political activists would have us believe. It is because they understand biology and sociology. They know what works. They know what makes for happiness in life and what it is that's in the best interests of children. Now, joining me now is Western Sydney Arabic community leader, Pastor John Namore of the Guildford Baptist Church. Pastor John, thanks very much for joining me today. Uh, thank you, Lyle, for inviting me as well. Thank you so much. John, why do our migrant communities hold so tightly to the idea of family and why are their family communities so tight-knit? Well, indeed, uh, as you've mentioned, Lyle, in uh, your introduction, that... Uh, based on our beliefs, religious beliefs, and based on our culture, uh, we stand firmly uh, on those uh, beliefs and those, uh, I mean, the culture itself. And it's, uh, it's impossible to, uh, to um, like, like to delete all these things uh, of our mentality or from, from our mentality. We believe that, you know, we need to look after and nurture, to be honest, the families, the way the governments roughly the Western governments are running the show, it will cause a big chaos later on. And they, later on, it seems that there is a big, big plan or there is really a hidden plan in their minds, like, you know, to scatter the bond, like to cut or to, to, to release the bond, a bit bond, uh, you know, with the families. And imagine that later on, you know, we will, like families, like children will be fatherless, motherless, and things, you know, will be in, in real chaos. And uh, based on our religion uh, or religious beliefs, I should say, because it's not only Christians, like Muslims, Buddhists, Jews, all of them, you know, they believe in families. They believe that, you know, we need, we have, we need to have this knit and this bond uh, among each other. We, we, we fellowship together. We, we are too close together. Uh, we look after each other. Uh, you know, like we are really linked too much uh, the way, you know, as I said, you know, the governments are running uh, the show, it will cause us a big damage. Yeah. And we are not happy, to be honest. In the West, we are not happy. Yeah, that, that's um, that's fascinating, John, because it, it, it is this very much um, divide between uh, Westernized uh, Australians and our migrant communities. Um, are, are our migrant communities concerned about the cultural and political trends? Uh, you've mentioned the way the politicians are running the show. Are you concerned about these trends which are undermining families? And, and what sort of strategies are the migrant communities putting in place to try and uh, keep their families together in this current cultural and political environment? Um, 
Look, we are trying to discuss things and we are trying to even stay together and uh, always, you know, uh, we um, discuss things with many different leaders and even with a few politicians. Some politicians are really very nice, but the problem is, you know, the, the policy of one party, um, like, you know, for instance, if you have a Christian MP or uh, in the upper house, maybe, you know, you, when you have, you know, some... Um, people in the upper house they promise you but if they are uh, if they are joining the big parties you know the decision belongs to the coker to the to the party itself it is it is not an individual uh, decision anymore so that's why we need more independent people not to be uh, driven away uh, by those policies and at least to maintain the family values and to maintain uh, the religious values, the freedom of religion, and so on. So we, we feel that really we are hijacked by those politicians, even if some of them are good and they have good intention, but they don't have the decision. They don't, they don't have any decision uh, from within, from within the quarter, uh, the, 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 the party itself. Well, well, John, what do you think um, politicians can do? We, we know there's big cultural pressures from entertainment and, and film. Uh, some of those things are possibly a little outside of the control of politicians. But what, what can our politicians do and what should they do to strengthen marriage between a man and a woman and, and the idea of family, as, as we understand it, as, as has been understood across cultures and religions for millennia? Well, to be honest, <clears throat> sorry, <clears throat> I feel that um, we are betrayed by the politician, even if they are honest. Why? Because, for instance, you know, when you meet with uh, leaders of, uh, like, for instance, uh, the big parties, I don't have to mention, uh, you know, specifically any party, they promise you, okay, they promise you that they will do their best to do so and so during the campaign. Now, when they become in the office, suddenly they change the leaders. It's a game. Mm. And those leaders who have promised you that they will do their best, you know, to look after the freedom of religion, um, families, and so on, they are replaced by, by another lefties, another, by another left-wing uh, individual. And this is a really, a, a, like, it's, it's a, a betrayal. We feel that we are betrayed. The other day we've met with one of the um, leaders for one of the parties, you know, in the, in the New South Wales parties, and he did his best to convince us that he will do the best. And we, were, we, we had a meeting, it was a forum to be honest, uh, many people from Christian backgrounds, uh, Muslim backgrounds, uh, I think, yeah, I'm not, not, I think, I'm sure, because I've met some of them, uh, some Jews uh, background and uh, Buddhist by, by, by background. All of them, you know, um, revealed that, you know, they had a big concern about these things, about the freedom of religion, freedom uh, uh, of religion in schools as well, mm. uh, plus, you know, the families. Now, now everything was perfect. But can you guarantee that, you know, when you become a leader, as a leader, can you guarantee that your party will not push you away and bring another one who will forget about all, the, all those promises? Yeah. That's the problem. This is so a really good... Parties has to, yeah, this is a really good point yeah, you're raising, so John. Yeah, sorry, you go. Yeah. Uh, the parties should respect their promises. Yep. For instance, Albanese promised us a lot as Christians. And he said that I'm Catholic. But what did we see? We, 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 he, he, we saw him doing things different to his own beliefs. Yeah. So that's why, you know, it's only words, words. That's why we need independent MPs, independent people in the Legislative Council, uh, uh, sorry, Parliament House, I mean, uh, those who are really independent with, the, with their own decision, with their, or, uh, with their own beliefs. And at least we know that this fellow will not change later on when he becomes, when he enters into that Parliament House. Yeah, look, I think it's a, really, it's a really important discussion, John, because what you're pointing out with uh, the Prime Minister, Anthony Albanese, is he'll, he'll go out to Western Sydney, talk about his Catholic beliefs, but then, of course, he'll go and march uh, in a pride march, which is all about uh, confusing children about their gender, uh, about taking away freedom of religion and freedom of speech. You also mentioned a multi-faith a forum that was held recently in Western Sydney. And I think this is the one to do with the so-called conversion therapy law that Alex Greenwich is pushing. And, um, you know, you, you've mentioned promises that have been made from Dominic Perrottet and Chris Minns, the Labor leader, both saying that they're not going to allow Greenwich to ban 
preaching about issues of human sexuality and also prayer for people who request prayer about issues in their life to do with uh, their sexuality or, or gender identity. Um, do, you, do you think that those promises given by uh, Dominique Perrottet and Chris Minns will, will hold after the election? I hope, I hope that they do respect their own uh, promises. But it seems that, you know, like our experience with, with, the, with the governments, uh, for instance, in Australia, in America, in the West, in New Zealand, Canada, it seems that they don't respect their own promises with all respect to uh, them as individuals. Because what happened, as I said in the beginning, you know, this leader promise, promises you a lot. But suddenly he is replaced with another with another fellow who doesn't believe in yeah. all of those promises. Yeah. So how do you how do you put them like how do you how do you put them accountable? How do you make them accountable uh, to their own promises? Yeah. So it seems that maybe maybe Australia and the West should go for more independent people, and those independent MPs or candidates, whatever they they, they are responsible. Uh, to the community who have elected them. Mm -hmm. Well, it'll be interesting so to I see what it'll be interesting yeah. to see what happens out in Western Sydney. Um, back in 2017, Western Sydney, where you know you're in the heart of that with your Arabic uh, community there, and, um, and and amongst you know Muslim immigrants as well, um, they voted overwhelmingly against redefining marriage. And, and here we are five years on. Um, how are they dealing with the consequences? What are they seeing as a result of that change, which, which they all voted against? But uh, it hasn't stopped there, has it? They're, they're still seeing the consequences of this change uh, washing through their communities. What, what are you seeing out there in Western Sydney and how are people feeling five years on from the same-sex marriage debate? I feel, because I've met many people, I feel that they are really, you know, uh, so sad and disappointed. We are disappointed. Family, families, uh, families and the family value and culture and all those things are, are so important to us. I mean, like, it seems that the government want us uh, to be like, I mean, how do we call it? Like, uh, uh, they would like to use the father and the mother. Like, we are like a factory, okay? You produce the children, Leave them for us. It doesn't work like this. Culturally, it, does, it doesn't work like this. Religiously, it doesn't work like this. So we need really, you know, we, it's, it's a cry out to the, to the politician, please slow down. We do respect everyone. Everyone, okay, is free to do whatever uh, he believes in, but at least respect the majority. The majority, um, uh, yani, we have, we already exposed or already, uh, sorry, like uh, revealed our, our demands, but it seems that there is no respect. Yeah. And uh, we felt that we are hijacked by, hijacked by a minority. Mm. And everybody is, is trying to please the minority on the expense of the majority. Yeah. This is not fair. John, John um, people uh, who have migrated to Australia have, have come here for a better life, and, and that's fantastic. And I'm, for one, so pleased that Australia has been a refuge for people from all corners of the world have come here for uh, better opportunities for themselves and their children. Many of you have come from places, and I know your background is Lebanese, where you've seen your home company country uh, you know, collapse. Um, are you concerned about the current trends in Australia and, and where we might be heading as a nation if we don't arrest our decline? To be honest, I have a big concern. I was so glad when I first came to Australia, I felt that at last I came to a safe country, better place, wonderful country, beautiful place. I was so happy. Day by day, year by year, I started to realize that it's very hard to deal with the Western governments. It seems that they are hijacked by the left-wing uh, communist, uh, secular mind, uh, whatever. And day by day, we feel that, you know, we will lose uh, all, like, all our privileges. I don't know, I, I cannot maybe exp express my mind, uh, 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 like, perfectly, but we feel that we are really, ha has been hijacked uh, on many different levels, on uh, religious levels, cultural levels, even, you know, the way we need to uh, look after our own family we feel that, you know, even we, we cannot even advise them anymore. If you advise them, if you say anything to the to the to your children, you are in trouble. In Victoria, they put you either they they fine you, they big you, they, they give you a big fine, or they put you in jail. I mean, 
see the kids you know will be later on will be so rebellion and even the government will bear the consequences because they will be rebellion against the police they will be rebellion against the government against the system so there will be there will be many consequences bad consequences yeah well so John, I hope, I hope that, yeah John yeah. that's really well said um, and look that that's all we've got time for today but uh, thank you so much for sharing those views I, I really do believe that um, people like yourself your communities in places like Western Sydney who are determined not to give in to these cultural and political pressures uh, and the fact that you vote out there and uh, you're such a strong uh, political constituency I think that does uh, give us hope that uh, the migrants truly can uh, help turn this country around. Uh, John Namore, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you so much. All the best, uh, Lyle. China before communism is the new slogan of the New York-based classical Chinese dance company Shen Yun Performing Arts, which tours around the world, offering a glimpse into China before the communist takeover in 1949. But it seems that slogan was too hot to handle for Australia's Westfield shopping centres. They are, are they kowtowing to the Chinese Communist Party? To discuss this, I'm joined by Daniel Teng, journalist with the Epoch Times newspaper who broke the story this week. Daniel, thanks very much for joining us again today. Thanks, Lyle. Good to be here. Daniel, tell us about the story you've broken. It just seems incredible to me that uh, a dance company performing in shopping centres as part of the promotion of their tour, um, and, you know, about a historical fact, why is that so much a big deal to Westfield? Yeah, I mean, to Westfield's credit, they're, they're willing to keep engaging in dialogue about the issue. Um, the controversial part of it or the contentious part of it is actually the slogan of the dance group, which is China before communism. And the group adopted this slogan, uh, slogan probably in 2022. And there have been some concerns from some of the Australia's biggest organisations around that slogan thing. Uh, and some of the feedback they receive is that it's too sensitive or it might be getting a bit political. So essentially this group, they normally advertise in shopping centers. I'm sure a lot of your um, viewers have seen them. And uh, this time around, you know, Westfield expressed a little bit of reluctance and uh, was a bit, was actually just pretty much said that we can't let you advertise here because of that slogan. But Daniel, and so why, that why band, would that be any different to, um, you know, performing arts uh, company, uh, with a slogan of, you know, England before the Magna Carta. I mean, it's just a historical fact that you're drawing attention to as part of your performance. Yeah, well, that's exactly right, Lyle. I mean, what makes China before communism more sensitive than any other, some of the stuff that we're seeing nowadays, which is a bit very overt, um, very much more political. Um, so I think what's happened, in, I think it speaks to a larger issue in Australia, and that is some of the largest organisations companies in Australia, the, the question is, you know, are we afraid of the Chinese Communist Party? And I think after a bit of reporting in this area that in essence, we, we are, in Australians generally still are very sensitive around CCP, despite all the efforts we're doing against foreign interference and AUKUS. So, so Daniel, we'll come back to AUKUS in a minute, but um, do you think that um, through your reporting, have you seen any evidence that Westfield uh, has been pressured by the Chinese Communist Party to exclude this dance company from their shopping centres? I wouldn't say there's any sort of overt pressure. I think what happens is generally there's a... So the, the Westfield in, 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 is actually centred in one of Sydney's largest Chinese communities, so around the Burwood area. Uh, and so there's a large Chinese community and all it takes is for a few Chinese uh, community members to express their, their, you know, their, their dissatisfaction with that slogan and Westfield will react naturally. And this might just be part of that. And what we have to also understand is a lot of Chinese, you know, they grew up in that system in China, which is effectively, you know, a communist system. And they're taught that the CCP equates to the Chinese people uh, and that, you know, you know, offending the CCP is like offending the Chinese people. So this skewered notion of nationalism tends to make some Chinese people quite defensive when they see anything that kind of offends uh, Beijing or the Communist Party. Yeah, well, that, that raises a really important question. And you mentioned AUKUS before. I wanted to come back to that. Uh, yes, yesterday at the um, National Press Club, we saw Paul Keating, former Prime Minister, give a speech where he just excoriated the AUKUS agreement and said there was no need for it. Uh, there's nothing to fear from the, the, the communist uh, government in Beijing. Um, what impact do those 
that sort of commentary have on Chinese citizens who are here in Australia who have grown up in, and perhaps have been, I'm going to use the word brainwashed by the regime. Um, is that helpful to us as a nation to, to have uh, a pro-Chinese Communist Party sentiment locally uh, supported and fueled by the comments of a former prime minister? Yeah, well, what was interesting about Paul Keating's speech was that some of the talking points, so I watched that speech, a lot of those talking points actually aligned with the Australian Greens. And some of their talk, these talking points also align with the Chinese Foreign Ministry. So they're, they're almost word for word. You know, the fact that, oh, you know, Paul Keating went and denied that there was a persecution happening to the Uyghurs in West China, while saying that it was, you know, it was in dispute that there was such a persecution. Um, that talking point is straight out of the CCP playbook. So it is actually what, what I noticed when listening was that you know, I've heard some of these things before and it was just very kind of surreal to hear it come from a former Australian prime minister. Yeah, well, not only is it surreal, it's uh, abhorrent to, it's, you know, to deny what's happening to the Uyghurs there. The evidence is overwhelming and to cast doubt on that. Uh, the, the thing that really worries me is that we do have a large uh, Chinese population here in Australia. And of course, they're very welcome as, as migrants, but as, as uh, a nation, we want to have unity, particularly around you know big defence spending like AUKUS, uh, our national security, and to have um, to have uh, disunity being fermented uh, in a significant portion of the um, population. I think is very very worrying at a time like this. Yeah, um, I mean, obviously, freedom of speech is some, one of our values, but uh, you know, as a country, we sort of I think. Australians want to be on the same page, particularly around um, external threats. But that also speaks to another bigger issue is there's probably a segment of society that doesn't believe uh, Beijing poses any sort of threat. Uh, and that, that's obviously a deeper issue. There's a lot of reasons behind that. Uh, but Australia, but I think overall, as a country, Australia is heading towards this direction where it is going to build up its defence. It is going to... Uh, protect itself against Beijing military aggression, regardless of what the, the naysayers may say. And I think this morning it was um, Malcolm Turnbull has also come out to express doubts about AUKUS as well. So it, it's, it's quite interesting. Uh, I would say that it's always the same few voices. Uh, so it's, it's generally Paul Keating, Malcolm Turnbull, Kevin Rudd, maybe he's not allowed to say too much anymore, and um, Bob Carr. So it seems these are the kind of the, you know, some of the more vocal critics of AUKUS. Uh, and yeah, I, I guess they're, they're just going, they're, they're probably not going to go down quietly, I think. Well, I think that's all the more uh, reason why the work that you're doing, Daniel, and the Epoch Times in exposing uh, the real agenda of the Chinese Communist Party is so important. Uh, so thanks very much again, Daniel, for joining us to help us uh, shine a light on, on what is happening and uh, you know, keep up the fight. No worries. Thanks, Lyle. Well, that's it for this week. Don't forget to share this program on your social media. Please help get the word out. Thanks for your company. Until next week, keep fighting the good fight.